UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And a very pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to this week's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We are in the midst of the playoffs, and the Cleveland Indians are up not only 2 to nothing in the playoff series, the best of five against the Boston Red Sox, but they are also up tonight by a score of 4-2 to two as we head into the eighth inning of play. I'm Dave Mitchell. Nice to have you along tonight for the show. And alongside, of course, our resident Cincinnati Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, of course, the Reds not in the playoffs. The Indians are so far has anything surprised you about the way that the opening round of the playoffs has gone, either the wild cards or this first-round best-of-five series between any club? Well, obviously, I think the biggest surprise was Toronto sweeping Texas. I mean, I think if, if you were to say there was going to be a sweep, you, you may have concluded before the season st- or the series started that uh, Toronto would be the team that got swept. But, uh, they man, their, their bats are hot, and... If Cleveland makes it through to, to play them, that's going to be a heck of a series because of the Indians pitching uh, up against that, that Toronto uh, offense. But uh, I, I'm surprised that uh, Texas just went down like a whimper, with a whimper, and uh, didn't put up much of a battle against Toronto. And, uh, uh, you, you know, based on it, I think you and I both said that uh, we thought Texas was certainly one of the top two or three teams in baseball going into the playoffs. But, We've said many times that's what can happen in the playoffs. A team gets hot, uh, their pitching gets hot, they get a couple key hits, and all of a sudden they find themselves uh, in the World Series. Toronto, of course, they they played pretty steady baseball throughout the entire season. I mean, if you look at what they did in the American League East, finishing just a couple of games behind Boston and literally tied with Baltimore for that wild card spot, those are three good ball clubs, and Mark, any of those three could have probably gotten through Texas if they had to have taken on the Rangers, because you've got three good ball clubs there in Boston, Baltimore, and Toronto. And I think that when you play in a tough division like that, and you play that kind of competition, it does kind of hone you going into the playoffs. You're used to playing against good teams with solid pitching. You've got to be at your best, or you're going to get blown out. Uh, but in terms of the um, the Eastern Division, uh, that is clearly the best division I think in baseball, given you know the, the records of those teams this year. And you know the Yankees were a good team this year, so you had you had four clubs in the East that uh, were very solid ball clubs. And you're right, any one of those three or four, uh, you know, would have been competitive uh, in, in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, Mark, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, you know, when you have that kind of competition, it's going to make you a better ball club through the year, too. Yeah, you know, I've got to say, I'm kind of surprised at the way the Indians have handled Boston up to now. I mean, right now it's a 42-game Indians in Game 3. I'm I'm rather surprised because the Indians had such trouble with Boston, winning only two of six games this year against the Red Sox during the regular season. I, I can't say that I'm... Not upset about. I'm upset about it. I'm very, very happy about the way the Indians have done this. But you know, it's not over. And if they get by Boston, they've really cleared a big hurdle. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see uh, the impact that Carrasco's injury has not had on the Indian jet. Uh, now it may in a seven-game series. Uh, that's where they're going to need that extra starter. But we, we've said all along, and you said all along, that Cleveland's pitching is the key to that team. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, obviously a, uh, it's coming to roost. I mean, they have, they have good pitching and they're getting good bullpen work from, from Miller. And he, they mentioned something during the broadcast that I thought was pretty interesting that he is a real hybrid type of pitcher. He can be a closer. He's been a closer in the past. He's closed games, but he can also go two or three innings. And that that's an unusual pitcher, uh, and and boy, what what a valuable commodity um, he has become for the Indians. But isn't it ironic that a deal that I didn't even know happened until maybe a week ago, 
you guys picked up Cocoa Crisp. Uh, I think it, what at the August 31st deadline. Yeah, right at the very right at the very end. Yeah, and here he is, the guy who's got you ahead by two runs with a home run. I didn't even know that deal was made until a couple of weeks ago. Mark, honestly, the way that the Indians sometimes use Andrew Miller is exactly the way you wanted the Reds to use Araldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. That's true, and. You know, Chapman is a physical specimen who can easily, easily throw two or even three innings on a regular basis. Uh, not every night, of course, and you wouldn't have to use him every night. But as you well know, sometimes a game is hinges on what happens in the seventh inning, not the ninth inning, or even the sixth inning. When they brought in Andrew Miller, uh, I guess the first game of the series, were they bringing him in the sixth inning? In the fifth. In the fifth. And, and he pitched two, two to third innings, something like that. Two yeah. 40 pitches. But he, he shut the door. And that's what you need sometimes. I mean, sometimes, a real, uh, you know, a closer like Chapman would come in. He's got a three-run lead with nobody on in the ninth inning. Of course he's going to get him out. Uh, but you, you probably needed him maybe in the sixth or seventh inning to shut down a, an uprising. So, yeah, I think uh, Francona uses Andrew Miller just the way he should, and uh, I wish the Reds had done that when they had Chapman. Well, here here's a good question for you then, because the announcers on TBS, they continually talk about how what Terry Francona is going to do with Andrew Miller, especially tonight. He's already pitched the seventh inning. They said he's got a 40-pitch pitch limit. But if you're Francona, do you go with the formula that you have used since you picked up Miller pitching Miller one inning, then going with Shaw in the eighth and Allen in the ninth? Or do you go ahead and try to stretch out Andrew Miller into the eighth inning, maybe get him to that 40-pitch limit, and then you lose him for tomorrow? Oh, I I would absolutely definitely go for pitching Miller in the eighth inning. Uh, There's no tomorrow. You've got to play this game as if you're behind. And I I think Terry Francona will. I mean, I can't imagine they would – you know, Miller just retired retired the side. Uh, they're not doing much with him. So I would keep him out there. Now, he may be concerned about the fact that there are no off days the rest of the playoffs uh, because of the rain. Uh, and he may want to use him tomorrow or the next day. But, boy, if I've got a lead in the eighth inning, a two-run lead, and I've got Miller, Andy, Andrew Miller in my bullpen, he's going out there for the eighth inning. <laughs> and, and another thing to think about, Mark, is the last two times – that these teams have played in the playoffs in 1999 and then in 2007, the Indians were always one game away from eliminating the Red Sox. In 99, they were up 2 nothing in the best of five, ended up losing it. And then they were up 3-1 to one against the Red Sox in 2007 when Francona was manager of the Red Sox. And the Indians ended up losing that series four games to three. And, of course, the Red Sox went on to win the World Series that year. So, I mean, that that's a situation, Mark, when you look at it, that I think Francona, being the manager on the other side, benefits to the Indians in this series. Yeah, and, you know, you've got about, if if he does win in Cleveland, let's say he wins the World Series, what do you think that does for his Hall of Fame, his Hall of Fame capability or, or probability? I mean, he takes... Boston, who hadn't won in how many years? They won World Series. He goes to Cleveland. They haven't won since 19, what, 48? Uh, so d- does that qualify a guy for the Hall of Fame? That's the same question that I have thought about about Theo Epstein. If Theo Epstein goes to the Cubs and the Cubs win the World Series this year, I think Epstein's an automatic shoe-in for the Hall of Fame because he's broken two curses in two cities – over a hundred years old in a span of about fifteen years, Mark. That's right. And you well, could you you could really say the same thing about Francona. I just did. What's your answer? Yeah, I I think they automatically get a walk into the Hall of Fame. Not that too. it matters until Pete Rose is in the Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. I think it does. You know, he's he's had winning records everywhere he goes. Uh, you know, I, I still can't remember why Boston fired him. Because, because all I of remember the is chicken and beer incident. Why well, no? But is that a reason to fire a guy? I I think they were just they just got tired of it. I I, I think they did. I think they just felt like they needed a change of culture. A, 
you know, and really they didn't go that far away from him when they hired John Farrell because those two are basically two peas in a pod anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting so they, how something so insignificant <laughs> makes them fire the guy that got him a World Series championship. <clears throat> and you know, I I wonder what what happened to him in Philadelphia. Bad a bad team. <laughs> really bad team. Yeah, but well, Charlie yeah. Manuel took that team over and they end up going to the World Series. I know, but it's everything's timing, as you well know. I mean uh, yeah. some teams, you know, just it's like Sparky Anderson taking over the nineteen seventy Reds. I mean, you could have put in Joe Schmo over there uh in Cincinnati in nineteen seventy and they were gonna win a World Series. Uh, you know, have a have a winning team and get to the playoffs and all that. So, in terms of what can happen to a team, it's all timing, especially with the managers. And well, Mark, the answer to our question: He brought in Brian Shaw in the bottom of the eighth inning. He has replaced Andrew Miller with Brian Shaw, so he's going with the formula that worked for him during the regular season: Miller, Shaw, and Allen. I don't know if I agree with it. Well, he just struck out Pedroia, so it's a good start. <laughs> well, you know, one thing about Shaw that you can always tell right off the bat, if it's going to be a struggle or if it's going to be a good outing, if he's getting that breaking pitch over the plate, and I know this sounds simplistic, but if he's getting that breaking pitch over the plate, it's going to be a good outing. If he's missing outside and can't control that sweeping slider that he's got, Boy, they've got problems. Yeah, and the, if the umpire sets the precedent, and he, he just did with Pedroia, that, that pitch could have been called a ball. They call it a strike, and that, that gives Shaw lots of confidence to stay on the outside corner either way. And uh, I would say, I don't know what Shaw's uh, splits are between left-handed and right-hand hitters, but if, just looking at him pitch, it seems like he's going to have a lot of trouble with left-handers because that breaking ball uh, is looks to me hittable to a left-hand hitter. Nor- normally he doesn't have problems with the left-hand hit because that, that slider just sweeps in and it basically just saws off the bat in their hands. Yeah, but if now, you tonight, anticipate I, that, if you anticipate that as a good left-hand hitter, you're going to get the bad head out in front of that thing and you're going to pull it into right field. Now tonight I can tell you just watching him on the first batter, like you said, Pedroia, got to tell you, Mark, he's got control of that slider. I mean, when you watch him as much as I do, when he has problems with control of that slider, it just goes wide of the plate. Tonight, it appears he's got control of it, which means he's going to be tough on these Red Sox hitters. Um, I think he's going to have trouble with left-handers, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, so this is basically the the during-the-game-and-post-game show for the Indians. I know, and and to be honest with you, Mark, as I look at the... The sheet here, we do have a lot of listeners. A lot of people right now have turned down their sets and are listening to us during the live broadcast of TBS. So we kind of apologize for the delay that we've got, but there's nothing we can do about that as considering the Internet does have somewhat of a delay. But, Mark, as we look at this game and look in on it and, and commentate on it, let's move on to the Reds very quickly. And they made a couple of moves today. One I thought was very significant even though it was a minor move, and that is Tyler Holt passed through waivers, and they assigned him to Louisville. I, I'm not quite sure what the Reds are thinking of there because I didn't think he played all that badly for that team this year. Well, uh, I disagree. I don't think he is the kind of guy that would have make, made any other team, maybe other than the Phillies uh, or Atlanta or Minnesota, uh, than the Reds. He, he has no power. Uh, he, he's a decent outfielder. I, I don't see him having much of an upside for the Reds, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not surprised he made it through waivers. So if if he is the kind of guy that you're going to depend on to be on your bench, uh, it just speaks to the weakness of the Reds' organization overall. I mean, I think he's a good guy. He hustles. I, I don't mind any of that. But uh, I, I think you and I talked today a little earlier about the fact that you look at the Reds' roster, and then you look at the Indians, or you look at the Giants, the Dodgers, the Cubs, uh, Boston, any of these teams that are, that are at the top uh, or have won a division. I, I went through the roster of the Reds today. Aside from Joey Votto, 
I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I can't think of one player that certainly even cracks the starting lineup other than Votto for the Reds in any of the teams, the top eight teams. Now, maybe I'm overlooking something, but I looked at the rosters and the starting lineups of the top eight teams in baseball, and not one Red would be on those teams. And Votto, I mean, would Votto make the Cubs? I mean, you have to find another position for him when you got Rizzo at first base. But would he beat out Incarnacion? Uh, I, I don't know, in Toronto. Uh, you know, you look around baseball, and the comparison between the Reds roster and Tyler Holt's a perfect example. I don't think Tyler Holt makes AAA with some of the teams, and, and their roster is a AAA. But it's just indicative of how far the Reds have to go to be competitive. Can I move players around uh, on other teams in order to facilitate a certain player? Well, of course you could. Okay. It, All right. Would, I think I think Billy Hamilton would fit perfectly in with the Baltimore Orioles, and you could move Adam Jones out of center and move him over to left. Well, or you could DH him or something, I guess. But Adam Jones is not a bad outfielder. Oh, no, uh, he's not. I, I'm just saying. What Baltimore needs is a leadoff guy, somebody with speed, somebody that gets on base and can play extremely good center field. I mean, face it, Hamilton's going to be a step up on anyone in center field. It doesn't matter who it is. But well, immediately, if you move Jones to left, you've strengthened your outfield there. Yeah, defensively, you're right. But on an everyday basis, uh, Adam Jones against uh, Billy Hamilton, I'd rather have Adam Jones. If I have to play him every day in center field, yeah, Billy Hamilton would come in and steal your base, but Adam Jones is going to hit you 30 home runs and uh, you know 30 doubles and drive in. But I'm not runs. putting I'm not putting Billy Hamilton in center in place of Adam I know, Jones. I know what you mean. I'm moving Adam Jones to left, so I'm yeah, actually replacing could, Billy Hamilton with the left hand with the left fielder. Well, yeah, I understand that, but in terms of everyday players. And there may be an exception for a case like that where Baltimore, and Baltimore is not in the playoffs right now. They made it uh, as a wild card. But you look at the top teams that won the divisions, and the Reds just don't have the depth of talent that you could uh, you could put any of their players other than Votto in the starting rotation of any of those teams. And I can't think of a Reds pitcher that would make the rotation of any of the top teams, not one. And that 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 says a lot. I mean, usually you'll have a, an outstanding player like Votto. I mean, Votto is an outstanding player, and he can make a lot of teams. But that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when you get beyond that, when you get into the bullpen or the bench players where the Reds have a Tyler Holt and these other teams have guys who could start for the Reds <laughs> on their bench. And that's the difference. So people are thinking that next year the Reds are going to, quote, turn it around. I heard that the other day. The Reds aren't going to turn it around next year. They may not turn it around until 19 or 20. Uh, that's how far they have to go to get some of these young draft picks they have coming up. And don't forget the Reds are going to draft number two next year's draft. So that gives them back-to-back good draft choices. Uh, they, they they got a great header. Uh, this year, and maybe they'll get another one next year. But uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of growth to go. And you know, the Indians went through that. They went through a, a period of time where they were not a good team. So in terms of what they had, what they had to do, they did. And uh, the, the proof's in the pudding. You know, they're back in the playoffs, uh, where I think they have a chance to win it all. Well, right now, the Indians, as we bring you an update on what's happening in the Boston game, Brian Shaw gave up a base hit, and now Big Poppy's up, and the Indians decide to take Shaw out of the ball game and bring in their closer, Cody Allen, to do a one and two-thirds innings save in tonight's game. They've got two, or one and, I should say one and a third innings, because they've got two down. Boy, Mark, this could be Big Poppy's last at bat in Fenway Park. Well, uh, again, I I would have left Andrew Miller in the eighth, uh, especially to face Poppy. Uh, But uh, we'll see what happens here in the in the the eighth inning. This could be the biggest inning of the year for for Cleveland. 
Yeah, it definitely could be. And, I mean, right now Cody Allen trying to get get through this inning. They've got a 4-2 to two lead, the Indians do, with a runner at first, and Poppy is up to the plate. And this could be the key inning. And I think, you know, it goes back to what you've said all season long, Mark. Why wait until the ninth inning to bring your closer in if the ball game is on the line in the eighth inning or even the seventh inning? You know, why not? And now they walk Big Poppy. Boy, that was yeah. a very, very close pitch, too. Yeah, I think he thought it was a strike, actually. <laughs> but yeah. in, in terms of, uh, these are the decisions that, that people never forget uh, that managers make. Now, if the Cleveland bullpen implodes here and they lose this lead and going to lose this series, people will be talking about this eighth inning and why did you take out Andrew Miller? Why not let him start the inning, let him go as far as he can, and then bring in Cody Allen and finish out the game? And I agree with you, and and I have done my share of questioning what Terry Francona has done this year. I mean, Lord knows I've spent a lot of time questioning what Terry Francona has done this year. That being said, Mark, this guy has seemed to, all season long, just push the right buttons on this team. For example, game two against David Price, Lonnie Chisenhall had not started a game against a left-hander all year long and had not hit a home run off a left-hander all year long. And in game two, he ends up hitting a three-run homer off maybe one of the toughest left-handers in baseball in David Price. And the reason that Francona put him in the lineup that day was because he wanted his best outfield for Corey Kluber that afternoon. So he's just been pushing the right buttons on this team, it seems like, all season long. Well, he hasn't pushed the right button in this inning. Great. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm watching this on my iPad, uh, and I, I'm not sure what happened. What just happened? Uh, a single to left field by Hanley Ramirez. It's now 4-3, to three, runners at first and second, two out in the bottom of the eighth. So well, Cody now, Allen, okay, there it is. Yeah, Cody Allen's going to have his hands full uh, here in the eighth inning. And, you know, I don't like to second-guess managers. I really don't because you, you can you can make the wrong – you can make the right move and the wrong thing happens. Uh, but this this thing with, with Andrew Miller you know, may come back to haunt Cleveland. They've got to get uh, Allen into the ninth inning, and he's he's not sharp right now. There's yeah, two outs. Yeah, no, I – and, and here's a here's a point, Mark, where if you're John Farrell, let's turn the tables. If you're John Farrell, you've got David Ortiz at second base. He's the tying run. Now it's four to three, eighth inning. What do you do here? Do you pinch run for him? Take him out of the ball game? Get a better speed guy on at second base with two outs in the eighth inning, or do you leave him in and take the opportunity that he's not able to score on? And that we just got the answer. That's they're, right. they're pulling him out of the ball game for a pinch runner. Yeah. I would I would have pulled him out too. I think it's the right move. Uh, a base hit here can tie the game, and uh, you know Poppy is, doesn't have the speed that, that you need. Hernandez is at a second base now, so this you know this is the biggest inning of the year for both teams to this point. Now we will have bigger innings as we move into the playoffs, but right now uh, Boston has a chance to tie this game. Cleveland has a chance to they hold on, get one more out. They take Cody Allen into the ninth inning and a real good chance to win it. You know, another thing that we haven't even talked about, Mark, is with Texas out, the winner of this series between the Indians and the Red Sox has home field advantage throughout the rest of the playoffs, not only in the American League Championship Series, but in the World Series also because the American League won the All-Star game. That's right. I mean, everything, it's interesting how all the planning, Everything that's happened uh, up until now this year uh, has Cleveland a, a great chance to win the World Series. And and I, I, I've i said it from the beginning, I think they are the favorite to come out of the American League to, to go into the World Series against the Cubs is what uh, I know I picked that. I think you did too, actually. So, uh, But it, it depends on what happens here in the next two or three minutes. After all spring training, all the planning, all the execution this year, that's why I love baseball. I love the fact that it comes down to this dramatic moment. And uh, one ball, two strikes, runners at first and second, four to three ball game, Fenway Park. It, it can't get better than this. No, it can't. 
I, I agree with you. This, this is, you know, a great time of year. Mark, as, as we, I, I want to switch gears here just very quick and look at the National League series between the Cubs and the Giants. Again, you talk about the game of baseball. You can't ask for any matchup better tonight than Madison Baumgartner, who may be the best playoff pitcher that we've got on the planet right now in baseball, against the team in the Chicago Cubs, who are the best team in baseball this year. Yeah, it is going to be a great, uh, a great game, and I wouldn't count the Giants out. I wouldn't really wouldn't. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the Cubs. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens tonight, but my money's on Baumgartner. Well, and that I heard today, and it is a real interesting point. Jake Arrieta is the reigning National League Cy Young Award winner, and he's the Cubs' number three starter. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, you can you can breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> they got out of the inning. They got out of the inning. I'm about twenty seconds behind you on my iPad up here. I, I've got to tell you that. So I'm I'm following. Your play-by-play, Mark. You might as well go for it because, right. you know, we're we're watching it with a delay here. And yep, I just I just saw where they got out of the inning. So the Indians will have a four-to-three lead going into the ninth inning at Fenway Park in Boston and a chance to sweep this series. Mark, all right, Los Angeles won today. Or I'm, I'm sorry, Washington. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Won today over the Dodgers, eight to three. That gives them a two to one lead in that American League Divisional Series. Definitely. They'll play game game four tomorrow. But Clayton Kershaw is going for the Dodgers. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting. Obviously, you said American League, but it is a National League uh, uh, playoff. And right, uh, the the thing about these two teams is they are two of the most underperforming teams in the last several years. Each year we go into the playoffs or we go into the season and we say, or the the pundits say, that the Dodgers are favored to win or Washington with their pitching are favored to win. Well, one of those teams won't win. Uh, And the Dodgers have to be, along with the Angels, the most underperforming organization given their payroll in baseball. I mean, that, that team ought to win 110 games a year, and they don't. And I, I, I can't figure out why. I don't understand why they don't. But you, you look at that roster they have, and maybe it's their, their the selection of, of players. Uh, when you have a guy like Yashio Puig, who tore the league up for half a year when he first came up, and last year he hit, two, what, 248, 244? Are they, are they judging players wrong? Are they – do they have – they had, I thought, a pretty good manager in Don Mattingly. Uh, he got fired, or he quit. I'm not sure what happened there. But look at the roster. Look at the money. Why don't they win? I, I just, you know, once they got rid of all their high-priced, and I'm not going to say all of it, but they got rid of a few high-priced players, Mark. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, they still had Matt Kemp on that team who was high-priced. They had Carl Crawford. They had John Burkett. They got they got rid of those guys who maybe were cancers, and I'm not saying as much about Don Mattingly because I think he did the best that he could do with that team. But when you look at it, and they had all those guys that they had picked up from Boston and basically that salary dump from the Red Sox that year, the only guy that they've got left on that is Adrian Gonzalez. He's one of the key linchpins of that ball club. But they've also got several youngsters that they have brought up, especially that Seeger kid at shortstop. That kid is something else. Yeah, he's a great player. And there's no questioning, at least by reputation, that they have a, a team filled with outstanding players. And But you, <laughs> why do the Giants win every two years? And they've won three World Series in the last five, and the Dodgers have only made it to the playoffs twice. Uh, there, there's there's something in the water there. There's something in the organization. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's the, the laid-back feeling in L.A. I, I used to go to games at Dodger Stadium all the time. I've probably been to 100 games in Dodger Stadium. And it is a different feel there. It's like you're you're going to a golf match or something. It, <laughs> it's not like going to Wrigley Field or Fenway Park or 
uh, even even uh, Great American Ballpark, there's more of a buzz there than there is in Dodger Stadium. People come in late. Uh, they leave early. Uh, it just doesn't have that, that urgency that I see in other ballparks. And I wonder if that has an impact on how a player performs because I can't figure it out. You look at their roster, they should win. What's the best ballpark you've watched a game from? Ever. Oh, ever? Yeah, um, ever. Crosley Field. Is it really? Why? Yeah. Oh, it was so small. It was so intimate. It was like going into a high school game. Uh, and the players are right there. There wasn't a bad seat in the house. It was very small, very cozy. And it could get loud there, I tell you. Uh, I, I've ne- I never even have seen pictures of that place. How much did it hold? It held about... 36,000, 38,000. It was like, it was like Wrigley Field. <laughs> uh, it, it didn't have a third deck. It had two decks. And it was very small. And they had a huge, what they call sun deck in right field that held a lot of people. And I would go down there and you could get in for 50 cents during the day, during the week. And, uh, I remember vividly hitchhiking down from Dayton to go down to Crosley Field. I'd go cut grass in the morning. And make five bucks, hitchhike down there, uh, go to the game, get a couple of hot dogs and a coke <laughs> and a pretzel, and then hitchhike back. It, you know, it was no big deal. I, I did it all the time. Uh, it was a routine I had. But I, I remember sitting there and had my scorecard, and you know, it was a great day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet it was a it was a culture shock when Riverfront Stadium came in. Yeah, and I went to the first game at Riverfront Stadium. Uh, I remember walking over the over I-75, I guess it was, or I-71, uh, onto, the, onto the ballpark, and I could not believe what I was seeing after leaving Crosley Field. I went to the next-to-last game at Crosley Field, and then the Reds went out on a uh, road trip, and they came back, and they opened up the new stadium. So within a week, I had gone to Crosley Field, and I had gone to then Riverfront Stadium. And, of course, I've been to Great American Ballpark many times, which, by the way, is a great venue. I mean, you said the same thing. You were down there a couple weeks ago. So uh, it's a great place to get, go to a game. I went to Fenway Park once, and the only thing I remember, it was so damn cold there. It, it, it was snowflakes, and I hated it because it was just – and the Indians or the uh, Red Sox were, were crummy that year. They didn't have a good team anyway, and I even forget who they played. But uh, I didn't have a good experience there. I've been to Wrigley Field several times, uh, probably 25, 30 times. White Sox Park. Uh, I haven't been to all of them, but I've been I've been to quite a few. How does Great American Ballpark compare with Crosley Field? Oh, um, it's light years different. Obviously, technology. It's, two, it's right. It's two generations away in terms of, of, of ballpark design. But I think what they did they they captured some of the intimacy that you experienced at Crosley Field that is now at Great American Ballpark. Now, I've not been to Progressive Field or whatever it's called now. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but you compare the two. What, how do you compare Cleveland's home bar, ballpark and Cincinnati's? I, I like Cincinnati's better. I, I do. I think that what they have done with with Great American Ballpark is they have opened up the back. In other words, the concession area, the the team stores. They've opened that up, and you've got wide aisles to walk through. If the place is sold out, I can tell you're not having uh, a, a basically just a lot of people that are just stuck in one place. Where That's what you've got a progressive field in Cleveland. Now, I think the seating for Great American Ballpark is a lot better than a progressive field because there are some seats in Cleveland that you have a bad vantage point of the ball field. But it, when Greg and I walked around Great American Ballpark that Saturday afternoon and looked from all areas, I don't think there's a bad seat in the house. I really don't. Even if you're in the outfield or if you're in the upper deck, I don't think there's a bad seat in that house, Mark. You can see everything that happens. You feel like you're right on top of the field. You can watch the bullpens warm up. If there's one thing I could say about Great American Ballpark is I want to know how much insurance the guy who drives that truck off of that pedestal up in center field to get it down has to have coverage for. I would hate to have to drive that truck up and down from where it sits. Yeah, they must use a helicopter or something. I don't know how you do that. But uh, 
uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be me. I'm afraid of heights. But uh, in terms of what the, um, the the Reds built down there, I, I think it's going to be something that uh, they can continue to improve. And the thing I, I like when you're down there, you can walk around the entire perimeter of the ballpark during the game, which I kind of I yeah. like. You can get up and walk around and move and go to different food venues and, and all that stuff. Uh, and, and that's that's kind of a neat thing. And uh, I, I think there are, you know, Dodger Stadium is just a fantastic place to watch a ball game and the mountains in the background and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I think for Cincinnati, it, it's a good uh, mid-market uh, ballpark, and I'm perfectly happy with what the Reds did there. Yeah, I, I do too. I think they've got a great ballpark down there. It's in a good uh, vicinity of the city. You, It's easy to get in and get out of that ballpark. There's a lot of parking around the area, although i got to be honest with you, Mark, parking everywhere when you go to a major league sporting event is just atrocious. It is, and it's it's not getting in, it's getting out. It, it takes it, it takes an hour to get out of the ballpark. It really does. And that's that, that's irritating uh, unless you just walk out and, and you know walk several blocks and get your car. But uh, well, you know we're going into the uh, the bottom of the ninth inning, and as you mentioned earlier, Big Poppy probably saw his last at bat. If Cleveland can get three more outs here, yep, it's so they, four to three. David Ortiz, uh, what a career! And you know everybody wonders. You look at his stats this year. This guy could win an MVP. Do you do you quit when you want an MVP? I mean, you think he, there's any chance he changes his mind? I, you know, I, I don't know, because the way I've heard it, it's his feet. That's what is the problem with him, is his feet. He just cannot basically even stand in the batter's box anymore without a lot of pain. Well, that, that's yeah, I understand that, but he's, if he has pain this year and he's putting up those kinds of numbers, uh, you just wonder... <laughs> If a guy wants to to leave, and maybe he's smart, maybe he leaves at the right time on top. Although it looks like if they lose this game, it would be kind of a downer. But you know that might be an excuse for him to say, you know what, we're so close, I'm going to come back uh, and do it. Uh, but I just wonder what they're going to do with with David Ortiz's departure. Uh, are they going to go after an Encarnacion at first base? Are they going to go after a Joey Votto at first base? Uh, they have, they'll have the money to do it. And you just wonder uh, what you know what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you the infamous Bill Belichick question. Bill Belichick always feels that it is better to get rid of a player one year too early than one year too late. Is it better to retire one year too soon or one year too late? I think it's better to retire one year too late. I really do. <clears throat> because you're going to be retired for a lot longer than you ever played. And I've heard a lot of major league ball players tell me they, they 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 quit too soon, that they miss it, and they still could perform. And you, you know, you at the end of a year, you're tired. You think, oh man, I'm glad this is over. But then spring training comes, and I've never heard a guy say, "Geez, sure glad I quit." Then uh, they they always lament. I wish I could have played. I wish I should have played another couple of years. <laughs> and and maybe that's you know maybe that will go through Big Poppy's mind. I know he keeps denying it that he's going to come back, but. If you're Boston, do you go to him and say, you know, hey, one more year, come on? Or, you know, I'll tell you what, $20 million for one season, Mark, at age, what is he, 39 now? I think yeah. he'll be 40 next year. Yeah. Um, it looks pretty good, not only to the bankroll, but to, to help sustain you through retirement, I guess. But it also can pay for a lot of apologies to all the cities that he's been to saying goodbye this year. You know, they just had a fly ball out, one out in the ninth inning to Rajay Davis. And all year, you have been uh, complaining <laughs> about his outfield play. He scares the hell out of me out there. <laughs> when you see this fly ball, you know, it's it just like he he staggers under the ball and, and jabs at it. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't he, though? I mean, he he's just he makes you a nervous Nelly. I know. Watching him in the outfield, and, and I don't know how many. I, I know at least four fly balls this year. He has just completely dropped. Well, he, it's he, been he, in his glove and hit the ground. It, it, that scared me. I've, I'm thinking, wait, what, what's he doing? What's he doing? Yeah, you know, he, yeah. he drops down real low to catch the ball, and uh, they're showing yeah. here for those of you who are not watching the game. Uh, they're, they're showing pictures of Boston fans 
in the stands, knowing, you know, one out in the ninth inning of a playoff game, you're down 2-0. That look on their face uh, is a very tough look if you're a fan. Uh, they still got two outs to go. They're not going to give up, obviously, but uh, there's there's some pictures of some Cleveland Indian fans in the stands with, with smiles on their face. But Cody Allen, wow. he's, 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 he's recovered. And he's now picked. He has 20 pitches under his belt. One out in the ninth inning. Who's Mark? With Ortiz being ready to possibly, I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched. But who's more likely to be a Hall of Famer? We talked about this before we went on the air tonight. Is it Ortiz or is it Pedroia? No, I think it's Ortiz right now. Pedroia has more years to play, but the impact that that Big Poppy had, and again, winning those World Series championships. Uh, they both did. They were both on those teams, but he was the driving force of those teams. And, uh, and he was in, he's in a big market on the East Coast. Yeah, I think he's head and shoulders above Pedroia now. Now Pedroia hits 400 or something crazy. Yeah, there's uh, and there's now two out in the ninth inning. Cody Allen comes back and strikes out uh, a left-hand hitter. Didn't, didn't see who it was. But there's, Leon. Yeah, there's two out in the ninth inning. So you're in essence, three pitches away from uh, winning the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I'm just seeing the look on Big Poppy's face, and it's even though it's got a look of "Come on, guys, let's go," it's almost like he's resigned to the fact. But still, they're one swing of the bat away from tying this thing up. So, I mean, it's it it's still not over, and I refuse to talk about the, the next series until this this game is over. But again. You know, Mark, I I don't want to. Well, I'm not even going to bring it up until after this game is over. As soon well, as let me it gets bring over, something up. You'll see this in a second here. Jackie Bradley's at the plate, and and Cody Allen's first pitch was low and inside, and Jackie Bradley jumps to get out of the way. Now, <laughs> I, I never understood that in a game like this. You want a runner on first base. Why doesn't he just stay in there and take it off off his foot or off his leg? Maybe it's instinctively you just try to get out of the way from it, but he should not have done that. You know, I, I heard a guy this afternoon, and I don't know who it was. I think it was one of the Boston newspaper reporters, and he was on uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo's show on XM Sirius. And I was going to an appointment and had a chance to hear it. But he blamed the, the lack of offense on the Red Sox and did not give the Indian pitchers any credit. He said that the Red Sox have just been in a funk over the last three weeks. And I, I found that rather interesting, Mark, because in the last three weeks I went back and looked at it. They had won 12 in a row at one point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he did, I just see what you're talking about there with Jackie Bradley skipping out of the way. I mean, he made great pains to go into the fact that the Red Sox were not hitting the ball very well, but didn't didn't manage to give the Indian pitchers any credit. I think the Indian pitchers have done an outstanding job in this series of pitching to the Red Sox weaknesses. Well, full count, three ball, two strikes to Jackie Bradley, two out in the ninth inning. Something a writer might put in a book. <laughs> yeah. Does so that right, give you right any now, ideas? The, the next pitch is probably the biggest pitch of the year. It's going to be a fastball in the outside corner. That's what the call is for the catcher. Go ahead. And there's a ground ball base hit in the right field. Okay. So the so tying the run is continues. on first base. And now your question a minute ago is very prophetic because Dustin Pedroia is coming up as the winning run. Tying run at first base. So well, maybe, maybe you have uh, you could see something because, you know, he hits a home run here. And the team comes back. And, and all of a sudden, it. yeah, he, he, we're he back becomes, to game four. Well, then you're also looking at Pedroia in a different way, too. I mean, these are the moments where Big Poppy has come up and hit a home run. In the World Series several years ago against the Yankees in the playoffs, getting to the playoffs, these are what make legends. And Pedroia now has an opportunity to do that against uh, Cody Allen. Well, and look at and look at Ortiz's resume, especially when they came back from down three nothing to the Yankees. He hit two home runs on consecutive nights to win ball games. That's right. And now it's very interesting, Dave. Um, 
uh, Dustin Pedroia is up, and I forget now where Big Poppy was in the lineup. Third, he hit tw- he hit two spots after Pedroia. Yeah, so it's possible his spot may come up. So his coming in coming out for a pinch hitter or pitch runner, uh, very very important at this point in the game. He could come up again his spot, and talk about a move by a manager that would be second guessed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why I brought it up when I did. I mean, do you take the opportunity to to take Ortiz out of the game when he's the tying run at second, or do you leave him in because you know if this game goes extra innings, then you've lost his bat in the batting order. That's right, and that uh, it's a one-one pitch, one-one pitch coming up from Allen uh, to Pedroia outside, two balls, one strike. This is like the old days. That's right. <laughs> when they used to have the ticker tape, you and That's I right. talked talked about one night. I mean, could you could you re- literally see Joey Votto in this Reds li- or in this Red Sox lineup next year? Yeah, I, I can. I really can. I think that they it's a great matchup for both, and he would be something that would. Uh, his favorite player of all time is Ted Williams. I can see a lot of reasons that Joey Votto would go there. Boston can afford him. It's now a 3-1 count to Pedroia. Oh, that's not where you want to be. No. Yeah, you do not want to be in that in that spot, 3-1, where you've got to come into him. But then again, they may not give in to him. They may just go ahead and put the tying run on at second base. I mean, not, not the intentional walk kind, but... Uh, just pitch around him and get to the next batter, which... Oh, my gosh, he just, it. he just swung at ball four over his head. You, you, wait till you see this pitch. And he'll remember this over the over the year. This ball literally was over his head, over his head, and he swings at it. Wow. It was, Sounds it was like ball a Roger four, Davis. He was just going for a home run. Yeah. All right, so then there's... It's a three-and-two count. Three-and-two count, two out. The tying run at first, the winning run at the plate. And Mookie Betts, or no, I'm sorry, Travis Shaw's on deck. And he walks him. Oh, boy. So, so that now the winning, Travis run, Shaw. Uh, the winning run is uh, at first base. The tying run's at second. And Cody Allen, he's now pitched, what, 35 pitches? Yeah. Something like that. The, the most he's ever pitched is 40. Well, he does, I he, saw that the other day. He's really overthrowing the ball. He's uh, he's not loose up there. He's obviously in a tough spot. Well, but, he's never been in this situation before, Mark. Yeah. Now, is there anybody else you would go to in that bullpen besides Cody Otero? Allen? Who do you bring in now? Otero. Okay. That's who they would bring in. They're, they're going to live or die right now in this game with Cody Allen. They will live or die with him in this inning. If this would go to the 10th inning... Then they would probably bring in Otero. Um, I can't say off the beaten path that uh, Salazar did throw today off the mound in Boston, and I guess he felt very, very good afterwards. Felt good during and felt good afterwards. So we'll see how he feels tomorrow, uh, because you know he he could be an integral part depending upon how far the Indians can go in this thing. But, well, Travis so, Shaw. Uh, Hit 242 this year. Um, he's one for one this game. This is shaping up to be low. one of those great Indian collapses. <laughs> it it really is. I mean, now Rick Calloway is going to come out and talk to Cody Allen and and try to settle him down. I know you saw this a few seconds ago, but he's going to try to get him settled down. But like I said, Mark, this is uncharted territory. For Cody Allen, he's never been in this situation before, trying to save a game of this kind of importance. And well, it's a one-one count now. One-one count to Travis Shaw. That was a good fastball he threw, but uh, his pitch count's getting up there. Yeah, it really it it really is. I mean, I I I don't see it right now because they're still. That's the ben, that, that's the the drawback, Mark, of watching it off of the internet when you're. In your office, off off of the iPad, you get the internet delay. But I don't even get this kind of delay when I'm doing ball games live in high school. Our delay is only about two or three seconds. 
Well, it's a 2-1 count now. Uh, runners at first and second, Pedroia at first, Bradley at second. And if Shaw were to walk or get on base, it would be David Ortiz's spot in the lineup. Wow. Who would yeah. have thunk? And Cody yeah, Allen, this is his 38th pitch coming up. Yeah, he he's he's laboring. Really laboring. Three. I can tell that right now. It's now 3-1. and one. And Mookie Betts is on deck. That's and that's right. not good. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he comes up. Yeah, this is, it's do or die time for the Indians. Boy, there's not anybody sitting down in that stadium. Nope. Nobody. And, all right, now, now where I, what do you have it now? Three and two. Okay. He just fouled well, it off. Here we go. Three balls, two strikes. And where does, game five, if it were to go to game five, is back in Cleveland, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. They play tomorrow. Because of that rain out yesterday, they play tomorrow, and then they come back to Cleveland on Wednesday. No day off. This is like a book. Three balls, two strikes, two out, two on, down four to three. (laughs) And here here comes the pitch. And I know what happens, Dave. I know something you don't know. Well, go ahead and tell me. No, I want you to see it. Oh, thanks a lot, Mark, because I've still got about 30 seconds to to figure it out. You know, but if if the Indians win, then they go to play Toronto at home. They'll play the first two games. If they lose today, they stay in Boston. They play tomorrow at Fenway Park, and I think that game is at 4 o'clock. Don't hold me to that. Oh, my gosh, how did they not call that pitch a strike? I, boy... You know, I saw a uh, report on Bryant Gumbel's show on HBO, Real Sports. Uh, and I think we talked about it a little bit, but they, they talked about Mark having the, the pitch box call the balls and strikes yeah. in Major League Baseball. And it was a very interesting report. It, well, it was, do you see it? Not yet. I've got a three and two count, two outs. With runners at first and second. And Allen is moving into the set and delivers the pitch. Fly ball, right field, Chisenhall underneath it, and we are going home for Toronto. (laughs) Oh boy. You had me nervous there for a second. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to spoil spoil it for you. You know, when he first swung, he had a pretty good swing on it. He just got under it. I thought I thought it was a you know he had a deep fly ball there. But um, but yeah, yeah. Congratulations to you and all the Indians fans. Uh, it's you know Dave. The only thing that is kind of disturbing is that of course you picked them to win uh, the division, uh, and then you changed your mind and said that they were going to fail. And so I you know I gave you the chance to change your mind. So. <laughs> Your prediction at the beginning of the year does not, I'm afraid, does not qualify because you changed well, your mind and uh, <laughs> you lost faith. But look what they did. You know, it'll be interesting to look back. I've, I've got my predictions right here, uh, all kidding aside, to look back. And, and, boy, I look back at my American League playoff teams, Mark, and I was way off the beaten path. The only The only two teams I had making the playoffs that actually did were the Indians and the Rangers. I had Houston, the Yankees, and the Royals making the playoffs, uh, along with the Indians and the Rangers. Well, obviously, and, many predictions, or many predictors, uh, you know, pick wrong. But, uh, you know, I, I got a hand it to the Indians' front office. Uh, they go out there and get Coco Crisp, and what's he do? He comes in, hits a two-run home run, and wins the playoff. I mean, what a, what a great move they made. And, uh that's what separates the good teams from the bad teams. Do you like these celebrations, Mark, after this round? After the wild card, after this round? I mean, you haven't sure. won anything yet. Sure. I, you know, I, I think that's why you play the, ball, play the game all year and you work hard. Those guys deserve it, and the fans deserve it. Yeah, I think it's – you never know you're going to be able to celebrate, so I would absolutely uh, encourage them to go do that and – uh, you know, you don't want to go out and get blazing drunk tonight, but uh, that means the Indians are going to have two games off or two days off. 
Yeah. Uh, so the the next round will start when on Friday or Thursday? I I, I believe it's going to be on. I believe they're going to go Thursday, Friday, then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Well, it gives then, them. Uh, it gives them two off. Yeah. And that, that that's great for that pitching staff. Andrew Miller will be back, and uh, you know that's the that's what they need. Now, my my gut feeling is Mark that they will start Kluber in Game One. If Salazar is able to go, they may go with him in game two, depending upon what happens. But they'll have Bauer ready to start game two. Probably game three would be either Salazar or Tomlin back up in Toronto. And But they may hold out Salazar to game four. They, they, might, they might go Bauer in game two, Tomlin in game three, Salazar in game four. But I think you're going to see... Danny Salazar throw a game against the Blue Jays. I'd be surprised if they started in game two uh, without more. Uh, you, you might see him coming out of the bullpen. You might, yeah, and, and you might, um, which means then that they would probably throw Mike Clevenger because you really got to have, the way it's set up, they'll go the first two games in Cleveland, and then, then they'll have a day off. Then they'll play the next three in Toronto. Then they'll have another day off. And then they'll play the last two in Cleveland if necessary. So which means Kluber could conceivably throw three out of the seven games. I mean, this thing is set up to where Kluber can pitch three times against Toronto. That's good news. Yeah, it is. And uh, this winning, sweeping this thing really gives their pitching staff a chance to rest because had they had to come back with with Kluber uh, on Wednesday, they wouldn't have been able to pitch him again until like the fourth game of, of the, the next round. Right. Now, Toronto, of course, they've got a lot of rest, too, because they won last night. Boy, did they win in dramatic fashion. Yeah, but I, I think they're, they're less of a pitching-dominated team than, than Cleveland is. Cleveland has to have great pitching if they're going to win. Uh, yeah. Um, Toronto can beat you 9-8, to eight, uh, and they, they do. They, they beat a lot of people 9-8. to eight. But, uh how that, how sweet is this? I'm just watching I'm just watching Francona and Napoli hug each other. How sweet is this for both of those guys? Yeah, and uh, I remember you questioning whether he was the guy, but what did he hit 30 33 home runs this year driving 100 runs? I mean, that, yeah. He, he he saved your offense. He really did. He, he was the guy. Yeah. You know, Coco Chris, you he, mentioned he, him. How sweet is this for him because he started his career in Cleveland. That's right. And then you you look at what um, Cleveland did with last minute moves before the season and uh, before the before the playoffs, and both those moves, the front office has to be congratulated for making those kinds of moves because it won them the, the pennant. They're not the pennant, but it got them into the second round of the playoffs. So yeah. you know that, that that's, when when they screw up, like the Reds front office, uh, it's noticeable. But when they are successful and make these kinds of moves and aren't afraid to make a move. That's that, that's what I like. I, I don't hold it against a team. If they make a move, it's an aggressive move, and it doesn't work out. At least they tried, and that's what is so frustrating when you have a team like the Reds. They just don't make any moves that, that impact the team in a positive yeah, way. I, I, I agree with you. Mark, okay, quickly, what, what's it going to take for the Indians to beat Toronto? It, obviously, it's going to be their pitching, and, and I think that we just said that with the extra day's rest they're now going to get, that puts him in a great spot uh, to have Kluber pitch two, if not three games in that seven-game series. So, uh, you know, it's I, I think they're in a good position. And, um, you know, Toronto's playing great ball. They both swept. Both teams are going to be fresh. It should be an exciting series. I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Mark Shapiro and the Toronto Blue Jays, here we come. That's right. <laughs> All right, Mark, we'll talk to you again next fr- next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to Mark Donahue here this evening, of course. Congratulations to the Indians. They win it here this evening by the final score of 4-3 to three over the Boston Red Sox and move into the American League Championship Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. Don't forget, coming up, we've got two special sports presentations this week on Ultimate Sports Talk. Coming up Thursday night, we've got volleyball action. Waynedale will be at Northwestern. And on Friday night, Waynedale will be home to entertain Ritman in high school football. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. 
That'll do it. Join us again next Friday, or next Monday night. I keep saying Friday. Next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Pella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.